Welcome to His Story, a teaching series with Pastor Mickey Bryce from Center Stage Church. This nine-part series explores the story of God from a theater perspective. Now, here's Mickey Bryce. We are in the third week of a series called History or His Story, whichever one you prefer. And uh, it is a privilege to talk to you vicariously through this wonderful podcast. And it's uh, also cool to be here with those of you that are here live. This week, we continue this kind of a survey, I guess, of the story of the Bible. And it's kind of got an epic sense to it. And uh, come by that honestly, because I'm theater director. This one's called Studying the Script, all right? So keep that in mind. The story is told of a South Sea Islander who proudly displayed his Bible to a GI during World War II. He received that Bible as a present from a missionary sometime before the war. The soldier said, oh, well, in America, we've outgrown that sort of thing. The native smiled back and said, well, it's a good thing we haven't because if it weren't for this book, you would be our evening meal. <laughs> I don't mean that to demean anyone, of course, but simply to bear in mind the importance of what the Bible has meant to the world, to the world. This Bible is the story of God. I'm holding up a Bible if you don't see that. This is his story. And that is the thing that we study regularly here at Center Stage. But it's the specific overarching panoramic survey that this message series is about. A series of talks. We're learning that the theme of his story is redemption. Redemption, making something out of nothing or taking something that was something that was broken and fixing it. It's a sort of do-over story over and over and over in the Bible. It's also a love story between God and man. Two weeks ago, we began with the beginning in Genesis and learned about the initial characters in the story, the setting, the initial plot, We learned from the very beginning that the Bible is a story of redemption, as we've said, of God's great love and his reclamation of his own creation. Last week in the world premiere, we saw that Moses, in Moses, God chose a man to lead his own people, Israel, to the world stage in Egypt and to enable their escape from slavery and tyranny, and to move from becoming a family to becoming a nation. Today, in this message called Studying the Script, we look at the Bible as a script in history and examine the importance God places on this script. So if you here uh, in this room or by listening to the podcast have ever been in a Zale Theater show or anybody else's show, You know what a script is. You know what you do with it, for the most part, okay? It's not just a guideline, it's indispensable. It is the book 
of Christianity. I brought for you today the only book I've ever written. It's boring. Listen to this. A Conductor's Analysis of Selected Works by Andrea Gabrielli, Jakob Handel, W.A. Mozart, Anton Bruckner, Benjamin Britten, Daniel Pinkham, and Vincent Persichetti. Shall I go on? <laughs> it's the only book I ever wrote. It's a historical study of, of musical selections that I performed with the choir in my graduate recital. When I was writing it, now, if you know me today, you know I can't sit down long enough to turn the computer on, much less write a book. But in those days, things were a little bit slower, before my medicine had kicked in. When I was writing it, it was an arduous process of doing research, setting down opinions, having each word scrutinized by my faculty advisor. Ooh. He was a nice guy, but he was a mean guy, too. Not much, I wrote, escaped his dagger in the form of a cross pin. One January day in 1982, I was presenting a section of this book to him for his approval. And I saw that cross pin come out of his breast pocket, twist. I knew something bad was coming. And he started laughing which isn't always a very good sign to someone who is your teacher. And he looked at this section of the, here's what it said. It's, these are my words, and I quote, it seems the intention of the composer is. And he started laughing, and he took his pen, he went, which he always did. Hated that, you agonize over all these words, and then they just, entire pages. And in those days, you couldn't just reformat. You had to retype everything after that, pulling it up, all of that business. He laughed at me and he said, oh, Mickey, 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 how do you know what the composer's intent was? And I was defeated. I defended the remark, but I lost the argument as usual. So it's difficult to know sometimes what a composer intends with a musical piece, uh, especially when all you have in hand is the score or the music and you don't have the author in your hand. But there is intent in the script. So this is a copy of a script called The Great Gatsby. It's the one that we performed here, 2019. And the process by which a play comes alive begins with the script. And a director or producer looks at the script to determine the direction you go with set design, with lighting design, casting, how many people, is it a musical or is it a play, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's only when you get a grasp of the book, if you will, or the story, or the script in this case, that you have a prayer of producing a good show. Now, there's a lot of bad shows produced because, for the most part, they don't read the book. They don't read it enough. And it's like sometimes I've seen a show, not at Zayo, thank God, but where it's indistinguishable from the script. I mean, you know, you can't tell that that was the script and, you know, unless you uh, read the title. 
So here's what I want you to see today. And that is this. The Bible is the script of God. It is the story of God. In it, we find redemption through Jesus. In it, we find our recreation of the story in our lives. In the truth that is held in it, we find proper, what we call doctrine, proper beliefs about God. And it's important to understand all of that because then you produce the accurate play in your life. You don't have error or you have less error. And I want to suggest to you today something very simply. When the Bible is read, learned, studied, and enacted, God's story comes alive in us. And whoever does that. So turn with me, if you would, to the book of 2 Samuel. Again, we're going chronologically. 2 Samuel chapter 6. So from the time of uh, Moses last week, the people of Israel have wandered in the wilderness since the Exodus for 40 years, moved into the promised land under, led by Joshua, conquered many enemies, been disloyal to God and some obedience. They've been led by various leaders called judges, called out to God for a real king, experienced the first king whose name was Saul, and now they're under their second king whose name is David. In an important chapter in 2 Samuel, we're going to see that the script of God is going to be ignored, and it's going to cause problems, especially for one man, but really for the whole nation. The disastrous consequences of not following the script means that the play that is produced is corrupted. It doesn't make sense in some ways. And the actors will not find the same answers that the playwright intended them to find. Second Samuel chapter 6. We're going to see that the script is going to be ignored. Bad deal. In the early days of the reign of David as king, David is in the process of beginning to establish Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. David is now ready to bring the ark of God there. And we're going to pick up the story in chapter 6, verse 1. And it says, David again brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. He and all his men set out from Bala of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. The ark is a word we hear a lot because it's a very famous movie, maybe one of the best adventure movies ever made, Raiders of the Lost Ark. They didn't completely follow the script, I might add. But it's a good movie. And we know what the ark, how it was depicted in the movie. So we have an image in our mind what the ark is. The ark, or the ark of God, or the ark of the covenant, 
even though it was in a movie, it looked like that in a movie. It is described what it looked like, but the real one is lost to history, as far as we know. But it was a real historical object. It's not a fable or a fairy tale or Alice in Wonderland. None of that. It really was an object. The ark was the original container of what? What was in it? Ten Commandments, the law that was given to Moses. Yes, the ark dates back to the time of Moses and the wanderings in the wilderness. They fashioned it, put the Ten Commandments and the other things in it. It is a symbol of God's actual presence. Now, there is ample evidence that the actual presence of God, the Shekinah, resided in the ark. So that's kind of weird to us, but God did not inhabit people in the sense that he does through the Holy Spirit now. The presence of God was in the ark, as well as these literal documents. God told Moses to create the tabernacle, which was sort of like a traveling tent of worship. It was their church, if you will, using modern terminology, but they tore it down every time they moved and moved it around. And you might think, oh, that's easy. Go down to Kmart and get a tent. No, it was a lot harder than that. And there were very, very specific instructions given by God, both for the ark and the tabernacle, where it would rest, what it was made out of, the shape of it, and all how you should handle it, it would accompany God's presence with Israel. So backing up to Exodus chapter 25, you find the instructions in part, and I quote chapter 25, verse eight, they have made them a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So God's giving instructions about the the tabernacle in general and the ark specifically. The instructions are found in verses 10 through 22 of Exodus 25. And I quote, verse 10, have them make a chest of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, a cubit and a half high. I like that. I'm a carpenter. (laughs) Find out if that's going to fit on your stage when you build something. A little bit more complicated here. Verse 11, overlay it with pure gold. I have yet to build anything out of pure gold, both inside and out. It's gold where you don't see it. Isn't that amazing? Why would you do that? Because what's inside of it's just as important as what's outside of it. Make a gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings. So you see two of them in the picture there on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the chest to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of this ark. They are not to be removed. See, they're there in the picture. And the reason for that was, very specifically, nobody could touch the ark. Poles are to remain in the rings of the ark. They are not to be removed. Then put in the ark the testimony which I will give you. And that's the materials the law. 
detailed instructions, and they go on. Only a certain group of Levites who were the priests of the temple in the early days, the tabernacle, they were the pastors of the day. And by that, I don't mean they were in charge of other people outside much. They just did the tasks. When I was a a music and worship pastor and had a choir and an orchestra, there's a lot of evidence that the Levites, one of their primary roles were they were the music people of the church. They were, all, they were everything. All the servants and did the work in the church were led by Levitical teams. It's amazing. They were supported by the church financially. The instructions for transport, we're gonna to get to the problem. See how they carried it there? Specific clothing, specific way that you carried it forward and backward, and specific identities of people. So, fast forward back to 2 Samuel. We're gonna see that in David's time, not very much attention was paid to the details. Now, I don't know if you're a detailed person or if you're a big picture person. The world needs both. But it is very true that in almost every walk of life, the devil is in the details. We've heard that. And what that means is, unless you look at the details, there is no big picture that's worthy of anything. Any musician or actor or theater person understands that you got to get down to how one person walks across the stage, maybe, or the look of a costume or a hat. Something right down into the details because that's the authenticity that you're looking for to create a story that's believable. So you can even enter into the arena of telling the story because the first step is believability. Do I believe that somebody up here is talking in a way that the playwright intended, that the story's being created. Am I transported as an audience member to a place where I can watch this and enter into the story? Unfortunately, detail is lost. Instructions are not followed. Let's look at verse three. They, the people moving the ark, set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. Nowhere in the instructions is a cart. Sort of like when Joyce gets here in the morning during the week, she comes into her office, takes her cart out to her car, and brings in a thousand things every day. Right, Joyce? Yep. I know she's here because the door goes <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I know it's her without when my door can be shut. They set the ark on a cart, brought it from the house. Okay. And Ahio was walking in front of it. So, problem Setting the ark on a cart, even if it was new, was a clear violation of the instructions God had given about the handling of the ark. No, 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 no. You can say, well, that doesn't matter. You're not God. You don't get to decide that. Now, let's jump to today. 
everywhere we look, and I, get, I understand that we might disagree on what the instructions are. We can look at the Bible and sometimes people differ about what something means, but we cannot differ about the fact that if we can understand what it means and get to that, we should do it. In other words, the authority of God and his word is not in question. We might struggle with understanding things, but we change God's instructions all the time. Wrongly so. We do whatever we want and we say, oh, God will forgive me because I'm a Christian. Yes, that's true. Except <laughs> it's very important whether or not you follow the instructions. Now, I'm not the place of God. I don't judge who knows him and who doesn't. But the Bible does talk about how you can know that you're a Christian. And if you are, we should be able to look at each other and say, yeah, it's on a cart, brother. Get it off the cart or something bad's gonna happen. God's displeased with that. So here's the story. The first error is this, setting on the cart. And you can say, why is that an error? Well, okay, something as simple as God takes care of God's ark. God wanted it to be carried by men. Why is that? It doesn't matter. <laughs> Study it if you want, find your answer, and then it will never lead you to a therefore it's okay not to do it. It never will lead you there. That's an error every time. God said it, I believe it, that has to settle it if I can know for sure what God wants. And that's why we grapple with the word of God so we can understand daily what it means and how it affects my life. Because if I set my ark of God on a cart, bad for me. Here's what happens. Second mistake, there is no evidence that Uzzah was what they call a Kohathite Levite. Now that's a certain sect of the Levitical priesthood. And it was only those who were in that group, Kohathite Levites, were to touch the poles to carry the ark. Here's another disobedience. David did not consult with the high priest on moving the ark. It's sort of like if I take a car over to Eugene's to be repaired and I come and get it before he's finished because it is my car, it doesn't get fixed. So it doesn't accomplish what I myself wanted to accomplish because I was in a hurry or whatever. David didn't consult and we don't know his motives here in this passage but no priest objected to it because David's the king. Hmm, maybe we should have accountable leadership. We won't go there. <laughs> and I mean the church too. Civic, federal, the whole nine yards. There needs to be authority of the people over the institutions. They did have that there. People could raise objections in the name of the written word of God. So verse five, little bit of celebrating. Yeah, ha ha, here's the ark. Oh, isn't it beautiful? Big mistakes being made. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating. They were having a big party. 
You might call it a worship service. They had songs with harps, lyres. Joyce did the announcements, tambourines, systems, and cymbals. I wonder if today God looks at our churches, and no one's immune from this, and sees the hoopla and wonders where the holiness is. And I mean that toward every Christian in the world. I've been a pastor since 1977. Biggest fear I've always had is discrediting the Lord. I'm certain that I have failed in failed him at times. But never intentionally. In this case, you know, I look around. I don't want to throw stones. I just want to tell you what the word of God says here and in this particular case, the whole group was celebrating like nobody did anything. Like there's holiness in the group when there isn't. I can't imagine that David himself was not knowingly aware of the disobedience. But I I don't know that. In any case, ignorance of the law is no excuse. Particularly spiritually. Where do you think we put that into our government laws? Who made that up? I'm pointing toward God. Verse five, David and the whole house of Israel, I read that, harps, lyres, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. In the midst of that celebration, there was disobedience. And I wonder, I would guess, that God is grieved by the disobedience to his script. He wrote it. He gave it to us. Why are we not following it? So we're going to cast the lead character in The Great Gatsby, but we're going to change his name from Gatsby to something else. And all of a sudden, it's not F. Scott Fitzgerald or something else. Plus, it'd be highly illegal. Well, they're changing up the stuff. So God does give freedom in some walks of our life, but God does not allow us to make up the rules. Why I've proposed all the way down the road that the specific objection to Christ in the world is not that people don't like him. It's that they cannot, will not, and never will submit to him. It's an issue of authority. Now here, it doesn't matter whether they were knowingly or unknowingly. I can't imagine that they didn't know. But they didn't do it. So... When they came to the threshing floor, in other words, when they were coming to the end of their journey, the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God. So it starts to tumble. And Uzzah is one of the guys, reaches over there to hold it and keep it from falling. Sounds like what I would do. Well, I hope I wouldn't do it. But... It doesn't sound unreasonable if this is something that's important and we don't want it to break and it starts to fall. What's wrong with reaching out and keeping it from falling? Well, keep reading. Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because of the oxen stumbling. Verse seven, the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah. His anger burned. Now, I can't imagine the Lord's anger burning if Uzzah didn't know any better. To me, understanding God is holy 
to have his anger burns against something seems to imply that there is a willful disobedience or, or just a disregard for the rule that would allow it to be maybe in the strict sense of the, of the, of the not knowingly, but you should know. So really there's no ex excuse. In any case, God's anger burned against him. Whew. That's not a place you want to be. Therefore, God struck him down and he died beside the ark of God. Wow. I thought God was loving. He is. But he's also holy. Perfectly in both ways. This is an expression of his holiness. He is perfect in every way and he asked his people to do this and they didn't do it. Not only that, you can say, oh, there's a picture there that God can hold up his own ark and all of that. Yeah, you can go and reason why God didn't want anybody to touch it and all that. But the point is, the explanation is a benefit, but it's not required to obey. So how many of you have kids? Everybody raise their hand, almost everybody. Don't go out there. You went out there. Why did you go out there? Well, um, because I wanted to. I'm sorry. Turn around. So you got in trouble for that. Doesn't matter why. Well, my friend was hurting and he wanted me to help him. I don't care. I told you not to go out there because I know something else might happen. And I don't want that. And I did that for your protection as a parent. Your job is not to figure out how to disobey. Your job is to obey, pure and simple. But yet in the world today, as in that day, they thought their job was to figure out how to interpret God so that they could do whatever they wanted, even if it was in the attempt to honor God in what they were doing. If not the obedient thing, I mean, it's not honoring to God if you don't obey, period. There are no extenuating circumstances with obedience at all. You don't get an out because you're sweet or handsome or whatever. He's dead, boom, falls to the ground. He reaches out, steady the ark, touches it. So why did God go, why did God, what the heck? He kills the guy. Okay, step back from that and say, well, after you've said that's a little harsh, God, you better be careful because God decides what he's going to do. And if he strikes somebody dead, it's still perfectly holy. Can you handle that? Sometimes people that want to take shots at God can't seem to come to grips with that because it's their concept of God that God has to fit into. God doesn't fit into our concept. We have to fit into his concept. And his concept is God is perfectly holy and perfectly loving. He gives instructions for our good. We need to follow them. In the verses that follow, we see 
that David recoils in fear and delays the movement of the ark. I would too. Some of you guys go over there and no, no, thank you, king. <laughs> You're on your own now. I'm not touching that thing. I ain't getting close to that because I don't want to end up like, what's his name, Uzzah. So stop and accept the truth, first bit of real truth in this story. God expects his word to be followed. The script that God gave us, the reason that he gives it is the same reason we have a dictionary and a history book. It's to have documented evidence of what God wants. I do understand that there is some time involved in figuring out, reading, studying, letting the Holy Spirit talk to you. But you have to, as we say when writing a thesis, study what you don't know is informed by what you do know, sure. But you have to understand that real truth is way bigger outside of you than inside of you. The answer is not inside of us. That's the error of a lot of false religious systems is that they look for holiness inside the human being instead of in a holy God. Part of that holiness is that he is set apart from man in that holiness. He is not one of us. He became one of us in Christ. But he is God and we are not and we must bow to that truth. If not, whatever you experience is not Christianity. For that matter, it's not Judaism. God is holy, set apart. So there's a lot can be learned from this episode in David's life. Just like inattention to an author's script can ruin a play, I've seen it, failure to follow the script God has given, David cost a man its life. And if I were David, I would say this is my fault. I'm the king. The responsibility here for what happens stops with me. A man died today because I didn't pay attention to what God said. Hmm. This is no small matter. God means business. And I don't mean God is terrible and horrible. I mean that he is terribly holy. And if you take that lightly, more's the pity for you. When we say respect and fear God, we don't mean that we should be afraid that he's going to take away our salvation. We mean that we honor him with understanding the, of what that holiness is. God doesn't do holy things. He is holiness and perfection. God has never had to decide to be holy. His nature is holiness. We can't fully understand that. So, but it starts with read it and say, I must grasp that. And here, if God gave us a script, we should read it. Failure to follow God's script for us can cost our life as well when you die. So what is, how do you follow the script of God? Start with this. Our script is this book. It's the only book. Some might tell you there's another book. Hogwash. Love people, 
Love the truth. This is the truth. Everything else is invented by men or women. This is the script. There is no other script. There is no cliff notes. There is no explanation guide other than things that are not perfect. And this script not only is authoritative, it is truth. So if you read it, you might veer because of your condition from what it says, but it will not lead you in any way other than truth. Now we have to study it to find that truth. So I'm not saying it's a bait and switch or anything like that. A truth of Christianity is this contains the word of God, the words where we can say the following. God is the author of the book, not men. Don't let anybody tell you that God is not the author. He is. And God is also the main character, not men, not women. Listen to what it says. Take this one to the bank. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. We do all of those things here at Center Stage Church with the word of God. When you want to go and tell somebody they're off base, you better put this word first and shut up a lot because we talk too much about what we think and we really just need to share loving truth with a brother or sister if we want to question their behavior because it's a, it's a humble process, rebuking is. But the Bible is used for that. Based on the word of God here, I think that you should think about this. That's rebuking. Teaching, that's what we're doing right now. We're looking at the Bible. Here's what I think this means. You go find out for yourself and we move forward from there. But once we agree that that's what it means, we put it on the stand as authority and we have to follow it. We may fail, but we can't say it doesn't matter. Correcting, similar to rebuking, but less severe. Training in righteousness. Here's what it means. You know, the Bible teaches, for instance, that not only is God holy, he wants to make us holy, more holy. And that's what we call sanctification. It's becoming more like him. How do you do that? Well, you do this, 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 this. It's like Great Gatsby lived in New York on Long Island. Don't put him in South Florida. Okay. Same attention to detail. If you understand this is your script, you started in the right place. You will find the author's intention in these words. So let's talk about the author's intention. What is his intention for you in reading his story? 2 Peter 3, we just got through doing a whole series in 2 Peter. Listen to what it says specifically about the word of God or his promises. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
So be careful when you say God intends for some people to die without him. Be careful. That seems to contradict what's said here. He doesn't want anybody to perish. So don't go say God hates certain groups of people. Even if you might, wrongly. Don't go say that. It violates what's here. You're picking up the ark when you do that. Don't do that. He is patient with you. Don't be mad at God to say, oh God, you just... He's patient with you, it says here. Don't accuse him of hating you because something bad happened in your life. When if you read the book, it says the reason quote unquote bad things happen is so that something great can come out of your life because you will learn in that bad experience that you really need God to help you. And that's a good thing. That's why we read it. It's so important to know that ahead of the challenge, ahead of the trial. Because if you wait till the trial happens, you're gonna be crying all the time. I've just gone through a trial of losing my sweet mom. Cry all the time every time I think about it. But I realize she's with Jesus and it's okay. So I'm doing good in that sense. It's okay. But I know that partially because of her, but primarily because this is the book that explains how she got there. The author's intention is to come to repentance. That's his intention for mankind. What are the steps? Number one, know the author. To find God's intention and plan for your life, you must come to know him directly. You can't understand anything till you have a relationship. This is possible only through Jesus, only. If you're listening to this message on a podcast and you differ with me on that, doesn't mean I don't love you. It means you're wrong. I don't mean that funny. I do not mean that funny. I didn't make it right. The script says it's right. So you go find me a script that says it isn't right and we can have a conversation, but at the end of the day, I've staked my entire life on the rightness of this book. Every believer has, in essence, whether they know it or not. You must know the author. The author is God, and God is Jesus. Knowing the author means coming to believe that God loves you, has a plan for your life, but because of our sin problem since the fall, I cannot find that relationship on my own. There's a separation, there's a gap, there's a, there's a big old wide gully in between me and God. The reason God sent Jesus who was perfect was so that he could place my sin on Jesus' shoulders and Jesus could show up, pay the penalty for my sin and yours and bridge that gap in a sense, build a bridge across that sin barrier that I can then walk across. Hallelujah. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why he had to become a man. So he could die a death and yet be perfect and yet still be God. In doing so, he paid my penalty. He died for me. That's what that means. 
as I say to God, I believe this, I trust that what you've described in your word is true, my destiny has changed. I come into a relationship with Jesus and I am, as we say, saved. Saved from what? Sin and hell forever. And that is an irretrievable transaction. Don't let people say, well, if you go out and do bad things, you're gonna lose that. You cannot lose that. Again, according to this word. In my opinion, you have to twist the word to say you can lose your salvation. Okay? All my Baptist friends. I say to God, I believe this, come into a personal relationship with God and begin a life with him that lasts forever. Mine began on January the 31st, 1970. 53 years ago. And it goes on, it's like dot, dot, dot. Forever, through eternity, there is no period. Wow. Okay, so read the script daily is the next. Come into a relationship, read the script. I go home and I say, okay, get off book, people. Learn your lines. We can't go any further after staging until you get off book, which means I don't have to carry around my script. That's why the Bible says put his word in your heart, not in your brain. Got to go in the brain first, obviously. Memorize it. Get off book, so to speak, as a Christian, and you can live and become what the story intends. I can spend the rest of my days reading this script and discovering new plans that God has for me. And you can find many, many different ways, external and internal, to read the Word of God. There's Bible read-throughs. There's all kinds of stuff. If you don't have something organizing your Bible reading, somehow fix that, okay? I love you. Fix that. Read His Word every day. Next, allow God to change you and live his life in you. That's what he really wants to do. Not just save you for eternity, make you be a beautiful trophy of his salvation in this world that people can look at you and say, wow, I used to know her before whatever happened. I love spending time with her. She is a beautiful person, and it's just so clear that the reason she's a beautiful person is because of Christ in her life, or whoever. Not everybody has exactly the same path. Sometimes it's fraught with trouble. Trouble is not caused by God. It's caused by our disobedience and our pulling against the grain all the time. That's my story. I just want to be... I want to be God a lot of times. And God says, I don't care if you want to. You can't. So shut up. Stop trying to do that. You're going to fail. And at the end of the day, then you're going to realize you should be who I'm telling you you should be now. But I'm too stupid. God wants to make his life and his story come alive in you. So Alex Haley, the author of Roots, the book, had an unusual picture hanging on his office wall. It was a picture of a turtle on top of a fence post. There you go, you can see a picture of a turtle 
hanging on top of a fence post. And he was asked, why is that there? It's kind of weird. What's that all about? And he said, every time I write something significant, every time I read my words and think that they are wonderful and begin to feel proud of myself, I look at the turtle on top of the fence and I remember that he didn't get there on his own. He had help. What a great word for anyone at any stage of accomplishment. I can allow God to begin to show me who he wants me to be at any point in my life, even in the last five years of my life. It was so cool to see my mother's Bible opened up on her table when she had dementia. What's that about? Well, it's a habit. She didn't get there on her own. You haven't got, our church hasn't sailed, theater, none of it gets there on its own. I can allow God to begin to show me who he wants me to be. It might involve some change, but that change is worth it as I trust him. His story comes alive in me as I discover the intention of the author. Speaking of the author's intentions, back to this story, I'm going to leave you with I want to defend myself, I guess I should say. So after that day, I was challenged to defend what I stated was the author's intention. And I didn't like that my prof said I didn't have any right to know that. So I decided to find out. And so sure I was that I was right, I picked up the telephone call, and in those days, you remember directory assistance? I'd like the number of Vincent Persichetti at the Philadelphia Conservatory of Music. He's dead now. This is an honest, ask, ask my wife, she remembers with horror. <laughs> the phone rings. He answers, Vincent Persichetti. Okay, this is like Aaron Copeland or somebody. I mean, this is like for a musician. Oh my gosh, what have I done? I picked up the phone and called one of the most famous choral composers and educators in the world. Mm, you remember Jackie Gleason? Hama, 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 hama. <laughs> May I speak to Vincent Persichetti speaking? It's like he's in the middle of class. I've got a lesson coming up, so what do you want? Who are you? So I said, I'm, my, 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 my jaw dropped. I, in halting speech and pitiful childlike admiration, I asked him what he'd intended in his composition. <laughs> Would it be possible for you to tell me what this meant? Well, most composers would say, I, I had hoped you would know what it meant by listening to it. However, this was a little deeper than that. And I told him what I'd written. And I said, I just would like to know if I should leave this statement in my thesis. Really, what I wanted is for him to help me tell my boss off. <laughs> Turns out I was right. No one would have ever, this would have not been a sermon illustration if I, had I been wrong. <laughs> um, I wrote the section back into my paper and had a surprising defense of the words added to it. And as it turns out, my prof said, what, what's this? And 
I snickered and I said, well, I believe it to be true, Dr. Burton. And he said, how do you know such a thing? And I said, well, I spoke to him. His jaw dropped. He said, only you would do such a thing. And he was so impressed with it. He said, put it back in. If you're right, I won't argue with you. And I was like, bam! (laughs) It was so wonderful. Now, if you have any doubts about what God intends for you, you can read that in the book. Talk to somebody that's walked with God for any length of time, and they will say, yeah, there's ups and downs. Things happen that I don't like, and things happen that surprise me with joy, but it's worth it. I don't know very many Christians that want to give it up that have actually experienced authentic Christian faith. It's the only life there really is. It's the life that both my parents are enjoying right now. And anyone in your family that's died with Christ. Let me pray for us. And let me encourage you that he would love to hear from you directly and let him teach you what his intentions for your life are. Father, thank you today that we can know you without a shadow of doubt. We can know God that made the universe and we can know him. We can talk to him. We can hear him speak to us through his word, through our prayer life. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege that it is ours to have a script, to be cast in this play somehow, the play about God. To be a character in the cosmic story of redemption is an unbelievable privilege. Father, we just want to play a bit part, but we want to be faithful to whatever you've written down so that the story can come alive, the authentic story can come alive in us. We don't want people to see us We want people to see you. That's the whole point of it. That's what your word explains to us. That's how we are light in the shining on top of a city. It's your light. It's not our light. We thank you for that today. Thank you for giving us this script. I pray that we would study it faithfully, that we would study it humbly, that we would let what we don't know be informed by what you know as opposed to vice versa. Help us not to be stubborn and hateful toward other people who might disagree with us, but let us draw near in faith, humbly asking you to show us what your script intends for our life. Thank you for this beautiful story that we're a part of, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Join us for the next lesson in this Center Stage teaching series and tell a friend about our His Story podcast. For more information about Center Stage Church in Gold Canyon, Arizona, visit centerstagechurch.org.